I'm today's host, Tess Sullivan, and this is Below the Line, celebrating people in the most collaborative art form, film and television. We love learning how films are made, about careers and passions of the creatives within the entertainment industry, and showing Hollywood hopefuls the different career opportunities that are out there and just waiting for you. Regardless of if you want to pick up a camera and bring your story to life, if you just enjoy a good popcorn flick, or if you're a true cinephile, we hope that we can deepen your love for the movies. Today, I'm sitting with the multi-talented Todd Tucker, who's well-versed in the world of special effects makeup and practical effects. But not only that, Todd has also acted and directed. He invited me to sit down at his company, Illusion Industries. We're surrounded by creatures from his films, Monsters, A Mutant Dog, A Chainsaw Killer. It's a spectacle for the eyes. And we're going to talk about his career, influences, and Todd's world in general, which by the looks of it is pretty fantastical. All right, so what do you say we get started? This is Below the Line. We spotlight the jobs in the film and entertainment industry that you may or may not be aware of. Today we're going to talk to special effects artist and director Todd Tucker. Uh, he has credits ranging from Friends, Hannah Montana, Smurfs, all the way to The Boy, Watchmen, Apocalypto. He's had a diverse career filled with laughs and fright. <laughs> Hi, Todd. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, so, very excited to talk to you about everything career-wise. And you've had an extensive career. You've worked on a lot of things. You've had a lot of job titles. I have. Okay, can we start with like the very broadest, start with the very inside, work our way in, about what is special effects Artist. So, special effects and what we do here at Illusion Industries is uh, special effects makeup. So, basically, what we do is we will get a script from a production. Uh, we'll read the script and do a breakdown of everything that would be a practical or makeup effect. And then we'll meet with the director, uh, find out what his vision is, and start creating designs, whether they're sculptures, whether they're 2D designs, design and create the character or creatures that he has in his film. And then once we sign off on something that they like, the, we will then bring actors in and do head casts and body casts and teeth casts. And then everything gets made um, into a, a positive version, like a fake, like a stone head or a stone body that we would then take clay and sculpt whatever the design is and create the sculpture, mold the sculpture, do it whether, whether it's in foam latex or silicone, create the final piece and then go on set and apply it to the actor. So we basically do everything from start to finish uh, up to the point where we're actually interacting on set, not only with the creatures and the makeups that we're doing, but also interacting with the digital department because a lot of times practical and digital have to be a combination. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a, a lot of fun and it's great to be able to design these things and then see it all the way through. Hey, it's Tess again. I'm gonna pop in here and there when there's a film term that you might need help with or if something visual happens and needs some defining. Uh, like this little term, practical effects. A practical effect is a special effect produced physically without computer-generated imagery or other post-production techniques. Special effect is used as a synonym of practical effect, in contrast to visual effects which are created in post-production. Gunfire, bullet wound, 
storms, rain, wind, fire, and explosions can all be produced on a movie set by someone skilled in practical effects. Casting or life casting is a SFX makeup process where a 3D replica of a performer's face or body part is achieved through casting and molding. Commonly used as a base to sculpt custom prosthetics to create aging, likeness makeups, disguises, or fantastical creatures or characters for film and television. Foam latex is a lightweight, soft form of latex which is used in masks and facial prosthetics to change a person's outward appearance. Silicone is identified as a synthetic elastomer as it is a polymer which displays viscoelasticity, that is to say, it shows both viscosity and elasticity. Colloquially, people call these elastic characteristics rubber. Silicone is amazing and is very adaptable to different needs. It can be springy to simulate young flesh, <laughs> gross, or less dense to simulate aging skin. Somehow aging skin sounds better than young flesh. Uh, it can also be dyed to any color to perfectly match any skin tone. Okay, let me let me clarify too because there's so many so many like sub jobs within there is what I'm guessing, right? So we have special effects supervisor, special effects makeup department head, key artist, lab technician, mold maker. Did those all fall under that one title? Yes. Yeah, I mean we have. And you know, you, you bring in a crew of people who specialize in certain departments. So we'll bring in uh, a couple of uh, amazing sculptors or, yeah. or designers and have them create the look and, and we'll, we'll find out what that is. And then we'll have, once it's sculpted, we'll then have a, an amazing mold maker. We'll then make the molds of everything that's sculpted. So we have different departments and different people that specialize in all the different things, but it's, it's everything from mold making to dentures, creating dentures, uh, seaming, patching, painting, uh, fabricating, sewing. I mean, all of that stuff is a department within everything we do. Okay. And is everyone, I mean, does it get kind of like assembly line passed off to people? Is there a start place to a finish place or does it completely just depend on like what the, what the mold is starting as? It depends on what it is, but it usually starts as a design sculpture mold fabrication mm -hmm. uh, and painted and then and whatever assembly so there is a, a certain level of things that usually happen mm -hmm. uh, depending on what it is if it's a, a old age makeup on somebody it's one you know one version of it if it's a, a puppet that is uh, animatronic puppet then we also have mechanics in the mix that are creating animatronic uh, oh, skulls and, and remote control eye blinks and things like that. So if it's a puppet with animatronics, that's a whole other world of stuff that comes into it also. Animatronics are very cool. Uh, they refer to mechatronic puppets. They are a modern variant on the automaton and are often used for the portrayal of characters in films and in theme park attractions. It's a multidisciplinary field, integrating puppetry, anatomy, and mechatronics. So only the coolest of the cool do this one. But everybody's kind of specialized in what they do and, and we get the best in the business and make sure that the quality of everything that we do is like really high quality. And so you must have found what your exact job was going to be in this in this whole field, in this entire department, right? What, I mean, there must be a trait about you that said this was the job out of all of these things, of all of the range of different opportunities within this department? 
Well, years ago when I actually started, a lot of times the effects artists back in the mid 80s, which mm -hmm. is kind of when I started right after I graduated, yeah. um, uh, you kind of had to know how to do everything. Uh, there wasn't they, there wasn't as many specific departments heads. There were more people that would, could sculpt and then mold their sculpture and could seam it and paint it. Um, so I kind of came into it where I was kind of forced to do a lot of the, the things. I've never ran foam. I've never done mechanics. I'm not smart enough to do mechanics. Okay, you just have never run foam latex. It's a oh. it's a process where you you uh, create uh, liquid foam and then you inject it into the molds and then it sets up and becomes the, the spongy material that is an appliance. Whoa, okay. And that's, it's kind of chemistry. I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's science and chemistry in a lot of stuff that we do. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff, but I don't do everything. Um, and that was good because then as I got further into my career and eventually when I owned my own shop, it was good because at least I had enough experience to know the different parts of everything that happens yeah. so I can have an opinion and, and guide it when, when needed. Um, so yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot to know. It's a lot to know. And, and you have to stay up on it too. Like if, like I, I went a few years where I was doing more of the business and not as much of the creative and wasn't sculpting as much as I normally sculpt. Mm -hmm. And when you don't do something for a while, you start to get a little bit rusty. So I always try to make sure I keep doing stuff, even if it's just on my own stuff, just to make sure I don't lose the touch. Well, yeah, and that you're in the know and that you're like still involved in all of the different pieces that go into it. Right. And so what kind of traits or characteristics do you see of people who tend to get into this kind of career um, across the board? Is there any like commonalities? Is there anything where you can spot someone who's going to be outstanding at this job for any reason? Um, in all honesty, a lot of artists are introverts. Mm -hmm. That's why they're artists because they're okay with being alone and sitting in a room for hours and hours and drawing <laughs> or painting or sculpting or whatever. For me, I was an only child, so I and I was actually a, a, a total introvert. So um, for me, I would prefer to be alone and do artwork. And, and do you want and, us to go? You can. Um, maybe a little I, while. I think we should. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I and you know what saved me is I actually when I got here to LA, I forced myself to take acting classes so that I could so that I would lose the fear. Of people judging me. Oh man! So you were you you forced yourself to be in a, a place of judgment. Absolutely. So that oh so man. that I could get past it because yeah. I knew because I knew you know I knew you I had to I was going to ultimately be in a place where I had to be able to interact with everyone and anyone at any point in time and I needed to be good at it. So I you know being the introvert I was I I pushed myself to make sure I could get past it. But I think a lot of people that are in makeup effects. A lot of them are people who love genre horror. They're, there's a certain, usually a certain type of person that really uh, is passionate and good at what this is. And I speak at schools, and a lot of times I see kids in these schools who are there because their parents didn't put them in a real college, for whatever reason. Oh, a real college. Well, I mean, like, a, like a, well, look, makeup, a makeup school doesn't give you a degree that it's you can use. Right? It's, it's a It's an art. Yeah. It's an art school, so you don't get a degree that actually gives you guaranteed work. Whereas if you go to college and you get a degree and whatever, but Business. hopefully it sets you up. But yeah, um, a lot of those kids are being sent because they don't have a path, and the parents think that this might be something. And problem is, is I tell them, I go, if you're here just because your parents want you to be here, or you're not sure what you want to do, you shouldn't be here. Because the only people that should be here are people who just do this because they can't stop doing it. Because this is not an easy job and you probably aren't going to be rich doing it. Yeah. So, you know, let me be a little bit of a realist here right off the bat so that people that are here that 
don't really care about this, you're probably wasting your time. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't love this and you're not a total fan of movies and horror and makeup and yeah. you think about this all the time, you're not going to survive. Are you saying the hardest part would be the freelance aspect or the long hours or is there anything mm -hmm. that like it's all things, everything. yeah. It's everything. And, it, and the thing is, is for me, when I'm sitting here at three in the morning finishing a sculpture or a makeup or something that has to work the next day mm -hmm. and there's that panic and that, and that pressure, um, I'm okay because, and it doesn't matter, it's three in the morning. I love what I do. So it's not, I don't, I feel like I'm getting paid to do my hobby. Yeah. with a lot of pressure attached, uh -huh. you know, so, so if you don't love what you do, when you're here at three in the morning, you're going to hate your life mm -hmm. and you're not going to survive. You're not going to want to do this. And you, and you are in that position a lot. It's a lot harder than it is easier. So I just try to be real with, with people when they say they want to do this job to try to let them at least vet themselves out as to whether they're really into this or not. Right, and also, do you just want the final product, or do you enjoy the work that goes into it? Right? No, for me, it's always it's the it's the process of the creation. Mm -hmm. That's the coolest part. I mean, and also too, when you're like a nerdy kid that doesn't have a lot of friends, which was me, and you make something, and and the response you get from people when they see what you've made, mm -hmm. that's the payoff of acceptance in a weird way. So every time, even, even to this day, when I do something, if I go on set and do a makeup and I bring the actor out on set and everybody starts freaking out and loving it, yeah. that's a rush. I mean, yeah. I just get a rush from that still. Um, if you don't really care about what you're doing, you're not going to get that experience. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not, you know, it's, it's really cool for me, whereas for somebody else, they may not, you know, be as passionate about it. And at that point, when you're working, you know, potentially 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah. You better love what you do. Yeah. You know? And when, I mean, so you kind of slowly found this, right? It wasn't right off the bat that you knew that this is what you wanted to do. Um, as a kid, I always loved monsters and puppets, and I was always making stuff all the time. I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. And then in the 80s, when all these great movies started coming out, and Freddy Krueger, and... We got special work to do here, you and me. And... And Dark Crystal. That's why Skeksis killed Gelfling? Yes! Yes! The Star Wars and all these movies were coming out where there was all these huge makeup effects. Doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. I just totally got into it, but there wasn't a lot of people doing it, really. And there wasn't a lot of schools or anything. So I just started trying to learn it on myself. And then I ended up meeting these two guys up in Northern California, a guy named Matt Rose and Steve Wang. And Matt Rose and Steve Wang uh, ended up being my, my mentors. They came down here and established themselves as two of the top special effects makeup artists in the business. And then I came down here a few years later, they got me my first job and uh, have just, they were, they were just amazing. They literally opened the door for me. So you did not go to college or have like formal no. traditional training for this. No. Would you say, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like traditional education is kind of changing and evolving, right? And it's kind of an expectation now that you need to go into college if you're going to do anything in the future. When it comes to this, do you still think that the route that you took is an available option for people today or? Well, you could, the thing is, is you can go to college, you can go to makeup college and they'll teach you the basics, which is good. Um, they don't guarantee you anything job-wise after. They try to help find people jobs, but it, there's no guarantee. Mm -hmm. And 
And that's one way. But the problem is, is that could be a $30,000 bill. Yeah. So if you have $30,000 to, to pay for something like that, or you want to have a student loan you're paying for a long time, then that is an option. Um, there are, for me, when I was learning, it was kind of trial and error. So there wasn't a lot of books. There wasn't anything really, there wasn't a lot to, to pull from in order to figure it out. Um, lucky I, I met Matt and Steve and they knew how to do all this stuff and they just taught me. So that was, they were like the best teachers you could ever have. Yeah. But for today, for somebody that wants to learn this stuff, what I tell them is, is I say, look, there is, there are so many different DVDs and, and things on online that you can watch that show the different aspects of what being a makeup effects artist is mm -hmm. mold making, sculpting, everything. There's literally videos everywhere. I say, go watch those and you can order supplies and you can get everything sent to your house, set your garage up and start doing it on your own. If you're not motivated to do that, you may not be motivated to do this. Mm. So there's your, there's your, your gauge. Okay. But when you met Steve, mm -hmm. for example, did you, I mean, you had the motivate, did you feel like you jumped at that opportunity or did they kind of see something in you that said, no, no, no. I literally, I was trying to figure it out on my own. I was already trying to teach myself how to sculpt. I was mm -hmm. trying to find books on, on how you do it. And then I went to a Star Trek convention at Eureka graduating and there was all these masks on display and there's two different business cards at each end of the table. I grabbed both business cards and I called the first one and I said, Hey, I want to, I want to learn special effects makeup. I'll come over and clean your shop. I'll do anything I need to, to just to watch. And the guy literally told me to F off. And I was like, whoa, okay, clearly that's not the way to do it. Kind of territorial. Or uh, yeah. So then I called the second one and I said, hey, I have $300 and I want you guys to make a puppet for me that I want to watch. And he went, yeah, sure, come on over. And I went over and... You basically bribed him. Well, and my goal was... <laughs> no, well, my goal was is that I go over and hopefully I meet these guys, show them my enthusiasm, and hopefully they'll like me enough to teach me. Yeah. And I, and I went over to this guy's house and it was Matt Rose. And for, for anyone that doesn't know, Matt Rose was Rick Baker's number one sculptor. He sculpted Harry the Hendersons. He sculpted wow. everything Rick Baker you know, ever worked on. And Steve Wayne, who was the other guy there with him, uh, Steve and Matt both together designed and created the Predator. That's their one of their characters. Yeah, the the Predator. The Predator. There is like the, the first one. Predator. Yeah. The Predator. You one ugly motherfucker. Wow. And it then amazing, you know, both of those guys are at the top of the... Of no the, wonder you were like, take, take my money, like, please. Yes, <laughs> but they weren't those guys yet. They yeah. were living in their mom's houses at that point. They weren't the stars they are. Yeah. So ultimately, um, I became friends with them and they were really, really cool. And they just started teaching me. So I had the best teachers in the world. And it was just by fluke that I, that I, but I knew I, I had a, I had a whole plan. I was like, I was going to meet these guys and befriend them. Hopefully they liked me. And if they did, then just do everything I can to, to be around them and learn everything I can. And Steve was making movies, so we were out on weekends making karate movies and kicking the crap out of each other with masks on and just stupid fun stuff. But, you know, you're 17 years old, you, you're invincible. So. I mean, even today, that would be really fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. And you're a director as well. So, like, on top of, like, all of these other things that you have going on, on top of the, of like, amazing amount of work that you put in with special effects, you're also directing at the same time. Did that kind of start around those same times? Like when you're talking about like, oh, you should do things like with puppets and all of that. Like, were you directing those kind of performances way back when? Um, so, so when I moved to Los Angeles, I had a whole game plan. 
and the game plan was because I had been I had done shorts and done little things and and there weren't really video cameras a lot at that point. I mean, there was, was there was cameras like Super Eight cameras and things like that, but there wasn't a lot of video cameras. A couple here and there, but yeah. so it wasn't like you could just grab your phone and go film something that didn't exist. So. I just did stuff with Super 8, and then Matt and Steve were filming stuff all the time, so I was doing stuff with them, and then uh, monster stuff, and we would make, we would like do a makeup on somebody and have all this tubing underneath it, and then have somebody come to the door and have him, you know, the guy answer the door and his face falls off and blood's going everywhere, just shoot stupid random fun stuff. Cool. Just fun, and we're just kids having a blast. So I knew, I, I, so I set up the path and basically did, you know, I spent years Established myself as a makeup artist. I then got in and started playing a bunch of the characters that I would make uh, on different films <laughs> of television. And then after that, um, I got in the DGA as a second unit director filming the creatures that my company would make because a lot of directors didn't understand how to film creatures and puppets. Okay. So then I could take the, the pressure off of the director to not have to worry about how it was going to look on film. Mm-hmm. And I was second to direct all that stuff for them, and then they could just focus on performances. So I did that for a few films and got my chops and got into DGA, and yeah. then eventually uh, wrote and directed and produced my first film, which is a kids' movie called Monster Life, which is yeah. kind of like a Harry and the Hendersons kind of movie. Now we figure out how to get back to work. Yeah. Um, and then did a couple other films, and then the last film that I did was The Terror of Hallow's Eve. Stupid assholes! I wish I could scare them all to death. And I had, I had done a, a few films and a few things since then, so it definitely the last film I did was my best and, and probably the most professional and had the most cool elements in it, yeah. just because I had the knowledge of, of doing it a few times. And I also got lucky enough, too, because at one point in time, I was working um, <clears throat> with Mel Gibson on the film The Passion of the Christ, and my job on The Passion of the Christ was to figure out how to combine uh, a lot of practical and digital effects, mm-hmm. because we actually talked Mel into opening having us open the digital effects company do all the digital and all the practical for the passion of the Christ. Okay. So my job is figuring out how to combine that stuff. So as a director and a filmmaker, I got this great knowledge on the passion on how to create digital and practical combinations that hadn't even been done before. Right. So now when I do my stuff, it's always a combination of digital and practical to, to get the final great results. So. Well, and that way you don't have like a hard line. There's mm-hmm. more of like a, a smoother seam in between mm-hmm. both and then just like creating. Okay, so I would really want to back up to when you said that you were doing second unit directing on the creations that you made because mm-hmm. directors didn't know how to direct the different puppets. And like, what, what yeah. is that? I mean, what would that look like? Someone not like who isn't knowledgeable about these special you know effects like there's a lot of directors who haven't worked with special effects a lot of them a lot of directors have worked with digital and special effects at this point because there's been so many different things but ultimately back when I was when I was second year directing there were a lot of actor a lot of directors who hadn't done films that had a lot of makeup effects or digital effects mm-hmm. so what I would do is is um, I would offer my services when we would get the job doing the makeup effects. I would offer my services and show them what I had done and say, if you want to hire me as a second unit director, I understand how to light and how to shoot and how to make these things all look real. Mm-hmm. It takes pressure off of you. You still have the final say of everything, but ultimately, if you want me to take that pressure off of you so you can focus on the movie, uh-huh. I can focus on the, the technical and it just makes your life easier. Yeah. And a second unit director.
is in charge of a film's secondary crew and a second camera unit that shoots scenes separately from the main unit during principal photography. The second unit director works under the film's main director and often has no involvement in the main crew. And then I did it a couple times and then it became credible that I could do this and help directors. So, uh, and for me it was a great learning experience because then I got to film the things that I know how to film and then be part of the bigger picture and then learn how to, you know, uh, direct actors, how to be a good director and communicate with different departments and actually, you know, be a real director, not just a guy that shows up and calls action. Well, I mean, and that is an incredible, an incredible step to then you becoming a director. And so when having worked with actors so personally, because I, I have, I'm assuming there's been times where you were the one like applying oh, yeah. these yeah. things. And so you know what it feels like to be that actor. Well, the cool thing, the cool thing for me was when I came here, I knew I wanted to direct down the road. So when I was on set of big movies with my favorite directors, I would sit there and study them and to the point where I sure they thought I was stalking them because I would just sit there and watch not only how they directed, but how they motivated their actors, how they interacted with different departments. I had, I mean, I had the greatest opportunity in the world. I got to work on Hook and watch Spielberg for the entire film. Rufio, Rufio. And then I got to work on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and watch Coppola. When my time comes, will you do the same to me? And I got to watch, you know, Tim Burton. I got to watch uh, Batman. Get those wonderful toys. I got to watch all these guys. So I really got to see what worked and what didn't work as a director to be a good director. And to be a good director, um, it's not, again, it's 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 about understanding how to motivate actors to get performances above what they actually think they can do. It's also about understanding how to give your the information to your DP and to all of your different departments so that they know what you expect from them so that they can give you what you need. Because if you don't tell these people, you don't communicate with them, and a lot of directors don't, unfortunately, because, because they are kind of in a, a little bit of a tunnel vision. But you've got to really utilize your crew as a team. Mm-hmm. And then you get the best result. And then you also have people that are motivated to be there, and you ultimately take everything up a notch because people are excited about what you're doing. Yeah. And I've seen it happen where I've watched directors who who motivate their crew and the final product is way above and beyond what they would have gotten if they didn't. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's about, it's about an energy, creating an energy. The DP is short for director of photography, also called the cinematographer. The person responsible for the photographing or recording of a film. They are very important. The cinematographer is the chief of the camera and light crews and responsible for making artistic and technical decisions related to the image. Yeah. And if it's a horror movie, it's about creating a certain, a different type of an energy. Like when we did The Terror of Hallow's Eve, my, my, uh, one of my main actresses in the, in the film had to really come off scared for a lot of these scenes. And it's hard sometimes for actors to really pull off being scared for a period of time mm-hmm. and or pull it off at all. And literally we scared the crap out of this actress to the point where we had to actually take time to calm her down between takes. Yeah. And it shows, I mean, you see her, she is fearful and it's in yeah. her eyes for real. It's not, it's not fake. I mean, she had, she had this giant thing looming over her. So Todd is pointing up to the monster behind us. Uh, it's a puppet, but we're not talking like 
Kermit the friendly little green frog, this puppet is looming over us with these long, bone-skinny arms and clawed fingers and these like scary teeth to match. And its chest has like an exposed rib cage with this otherworldly red glow. I can completely see how an actor with this monster coming after them in the dark could get lost in the moment because it's freaky enough under bright foam lights right now. Coming at her yeah. and she was up against a corner and she told me afterwards, she's like, because I know that's it's, how lifelike it's this, big, you know, it's yeah. huge, it's menacing and it's coming at you and it's moving and it's about to kill you and it's really happening at that moment. Yeah. And literally, I mean, regardless of whether you know it's not real or not, this thing's 12 feet tall and it's coming at you and it's pissed. So it's like, you know, I like, I try to get my actors as a director into a place where they're really experiencing the moment. And if it's a comedy, if it's a comedy, I, I try to get actors who have good comedic instincts because sometimes comedy is organic and if it doesn't work on the page, you have mm -hmm. to figure out how to make it funny organically. And if you have the right team, you give them the freedom to take their character and bring comedy to the board and make it work almost like improv yeah when needed when needed so as a director you have to uh, you know i i've learned from watching all these guys how to tailor everything to get what you need out of it in a very positive way and you are switching back and forth between doing like some lighter pieces and some heavier pieces mm -hmm. with the horror is that purposeful is that because like you step back from a horror film and you're like Okay, we could all like, you know, like breathe and like, you know, be like a little, uh, a little like looser, a little, you know. I just like to do so many different things that it's been hard for me to just do one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I just like to do, I, you know, I like to, I like comedy, I like horror, I like, I like fantasy, I like, you know. Um, so for me, I, I like to jump around as much as, as I can and I just like to do things that inspire me. Yeah. And if I'm not inspired, like I had somebody come to me one time and ask me if, they, if I would direct this romantic comedy that they had. And I read it and I was like, I can direct this for you, but I, I don't know that I'm going to give you anything that you wouldn't get from somebody else. Because mm -hmm. I just don't feel this. I mean, but you have such a different <clears throat> background than probably so many people have. So do you think that's kind of why they were coming to you to say like, we have this romantic comedy, but hey, you've got, you know, all of these other things behind you, so maybe you would add this interesting twist on Maybe. If I don't instinctually feel that I'm going to bring something more to the board than someone else could, mm -hmm. and I don't feel excited about it internally, it's not worth it for me to even try it. Is there something that jumps out from the page when you're looking at something that you, like, is it like you have to be able to visualize it, you have to be able to, you know, like, picture the locate, like, is there anything about a project that, when you're reading it, it speaks to you for such a reason? It, it depends on what it is, but ultimately, I don't have control over whether it works for me or not. I literally, it just, I, if I, it's like a movie. Uh, I read a script as if I'm watching a movie, because mm -hmm. I'm very visual, and then ultimately, at the end of the day, if I walk out of a movie theater and I can't stop thinking about that movie, because mm -hmm. that's how I am, like if it's something, it, I'm, I'm in. Like when I'm watching a movie, I'm in the movie. There's no one else around me. I literally, I lose myself in movies. Yeah. And I can do the same thing in a script if it's a good script. So if I lose myself in the project and afterwards I can't stop thinking about it, then I'm doing that damn project. If I read it and it's torturous to get through it, mm -hmm. I'm probably not the right guy to try to direct it. Well, yeah, if it's torture to get through it, then maybe not. Yeah, and there have been. I, I, I mean, I've been given a couple scripts where I've been asked to, to direct them, and, 
And the scripts usually that I'm that I get approached for are more technical scripts because because there's a lot of combination of digital and practical effects. Um, mm -hmm. Although I'm very I, as a director, I'm very um, I'm very about performance, whether it's comedy or whether it's drama or whether it's horror, whatever. It is. I'm very about performance, trying to get a performance that works. Yeah, that really works, and 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 not just for me, but you know for people outside because as a director you're in your own head but you also got to make something that somebody else who's never seen this has no idea what this is can get attached to you know so it's it's interesting it's a whole it's a whole weird mindset when you're directing and creating product yeah, yeah. and is there anything that you think that you know mm, one thing above anything else that you've taken as being like the pinnacle of what a good director is um I've worked. I've worked with some great directors. I got to watch. I got to watch Mel Gibson make The Passion of the Christ, and I have to say that was that was that was kind of a little bit life changing for me because I was so engrossed and in, ingrained in, in doing so much stuff with that, and watching his vision come to life and and the way he inspired. Because he, as a producer and as a director, he knows how to motivate actors mm -hmm. and he knows how to create a vision and he actually understands how to. He's a great filmmaker, and I learned a lot from from interacting with him. So, after I did the Passion of the Christ, I was like, "I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this." And I understood what he did, and I understood that I have the same uh, same kind of mojo, I guess, that I get the same excitement that I saw him have. And I was like, "Okay." Was there a moment on the set that yeah. you, yeah, yeah, I was playing the Judas demon. And I was in the makeup. Well, that'll do it. Well, it was weird. I was in the makeup and I was in doing, I was spinning in a chair for four hours doing the same thing over and over. And I was like, Mel, can I do anything different? He's like, no, this is great. This is great. And when I, when I got out of the, uh, the makeup, I went back and I looked at some of the footage and I talked to Mel and there was something that he said to me that I just went, I literally want to do what you do from this point on. Mm -hmm. I want to, and I and I thought about it, and I just remember he had, he had a conversation with me, and after doing that, and he explained to me why we did it for so long, and I just went, oh my god, I didn't even think about that, and I go, that's that's genius, and when it comes on screen, I see it, I'm gonna understand why you just did what you did, and I go, there's some thought, and there's there's thought process into this. It's not just hey, throw a dude up there and film it quick, gotta go. Mm -hmm. There's like depth to why it looks the way it does, why things are angled this way rather than this way. I mean, there's a lot of, he had a lot of preparation. I was really impressed how it's eye opening. It's, it's, you realize how much can go into it if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people just get through it. Yeah. Just gotta get through it. Gotta get that. Gotta get through my day. And that shots. magic you can feel on the other end. It comes off on the screen. It like, it really does. People who have worked with me on my shows a lot of times have told me, that the experience was different than they've had on other shows just because of moments that we created while we were filming. And there's and, and actually there was there was a scene in the terror where uh, the, there's a flashback where the kid is thinking about when his mom and dad when he came back from trick-or-treating and his dad was drinking and his dad hits his mom and smacks his mom. Mm -hmm. We were on set. That smack happened and that set went silent. I called cut and no one said a word. It was so tense and yeah. it was so real at the moment that everyone just was like, 
oh shit, there's something happening right here that feels weird because it was so felt so real and the moment yeah. was real. So creating those moments is really, and then getting it on camera is cool. That's mm -hmm. really cool. You know that you're telling a story. You're doing something special. You're not just filming something. You're creating the moment that literally is going to end when it's done. Mm -hmm. And you may not get it back. So you better have been filming that damn moment. Because <laughs> <laughs> you may not ever get it back again. You know, it's, and it's creating special moments. And I watched Neil do it. I've watched a lot of directors where they just catch moments and you're just like, holy crap. You couldn't do that again. Yeah. You couldn't do that again and get what you just got. So the of everything that we're also interested in in your career is also what inspires you. What inspired you in the past? What's inspired you right now? So I think you probably could have guessed that this question is coming. What are some of your favorite movies? And I'm going to oh. narrow it down to three, if it's at all possible. Because oh, okay. I know we could list off like no, no, 50 of the top okay. films. Uh, I would say if I had to say the most impacting movies, one would be The Wizard of Oz. Because mm -hmm. as a kid, that to me just was like the coolest movie ever. It had great makeup effects at a time when makeup effects didn't really exist that much. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. <clears throat> great formula movie and so many movies have been made inspired by that movie. And that movie just was my childhood thing. Um, I have to say Star Wars became the biggest nerdy thing that I ever did. I had every, my room was Star Wars. I still have as bad as this is to admit in my upstairs, I have a man cave and in my man cave, I have all kinds of stuff, including a full scale standing Darth Vader with a lightsaber <laughs> That's amazing. ready to destroy. It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. Yeah, I don't um, know why that's not loud and proud. I've actually posted it with a, a, my title is I'm a nerd, I know. So, um, and then I, I would say the other two, For I have to say there's two right now that I can't tell you which one would be more important because they both really, really like traumatized me. Um, one was Jaws and the other was Halloween. Both of those movies gave me nightmares and affected me in a way that no movie has ever done. I still won't go in the, sh in the water. Yeah. I still won't go in the ocean. You're going to need a bigger boat. And to this day, uh, Michael Myers still remains the most ominous thing I, I know. <laughs> I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death. Of, of good or evil. So isn't that, that they're very different movies though, in terms of like yeah. movies to be scared of. Yeah. I mean, most of the time we never see like the shark. And it's just like this thing, right? Like right. under the water, there is something. But let me explain to you why that works. Because psychologically, as an audience member, if you saw the shark all through the movie, mm -hmm. the impact of the shark would get less and less. We'd start to relate to it as a friend. You would start to you would start to lose the the factor of of its intensity and its danger. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of Michael Myers, the great thing about Michael Myers was is his lack of emotion made him a killing machine that you can't reckon with. Mm -hmm. So you have you have two elements in both of these movies that, to a point, 
build up in intensity, but also have enough payoff at the end that it sticks in your mind. Like literally after Jaws, and I saw that movie as a kid in the theater 47 times. I used to count how many times I would see movies. I saw Star Wars 74 times. I was the only child that would go to the to the movies by myself on the weekends yeah. and stay there all day. And you had no money left over for anything else. Didn't that movie theater was just eating up your No, I only paid once. I would I would sneak from one to the next to the next or stay in the wow. same one and then come back go to the bathroom and wait till they all left and then come back in and sit They're going to get you now. Now that it's all coming out. Nah, come nah. find you for all of those yeah, missed maybe, movies. Maybe. Um, but those, those, those four movies, uh, for me are still the movies that I will watch. And when my kids got older and, and they were of the age where I could show them those movies, I, those were the first ones I, I showed them. And there's other, I mean, there's other movies too that completely had a huge impact on me, like Gremlins, Dark Crystal, mm -hmm. uh, Freddy Krueger, um, uh, God, there's, there's, I mean, there's These Harry and the Hendersons. I mean, E.T., yeah, all these yeah, movies were like, were, you know, Poltergeist. There's so many great movies. I'm a huge Spielberg fan. I love Spielberg movies. And because I was an only child, I went to the, week, I went to the movies every weekend. So I was just a movie kid from the get-go. So I just just lose myself in movies, literally. Well, see how I, I see why I needed to narrow it down to three, because I knew that It could have kept going and every... going and hours of, of, of list of movies, yeah. So what are you watching right now? What is inspiring you that you are currently viewing? Mm. Um, wow, what am I watching right now? Uh, <laughs> I can't tell you what I'm really watching because- Oh no, it's embarrassing? It's embarrassing. And like guilty pleasure watching? It's, it's well, <laughs> I, I catch all kinds of crap. Um, I watch it because I watch it with my family and we love to bag on it and it's so much fun. It uh -huh. has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, you're giving a backstory 90 to this. Day Fiance. You know? We watch this damn oh, 90 Day Fiance and I just love to just bag on these people. It's so much fun. But as far as actual stuff, uh, like I have to say, I just I just okay, recently saw... Fiance is actual stuff. Like, well, it's sort sense. of. <laughs> um, like I actually, I just recently saw the new Batman movie. Oh, I've heard it's... Now, I'm not a fan yeah. of the actor. Oh, okay. Personally, I'm not. Yeah. A, I was never into Twilight. I just don't. I'm not a big fan of those. Personally, well, you missed it. Um, yeah. I'm not. You know, I'm also wasn't a 14 year old little girl, so it was kind of not in my genre. Yeah. But um, and to be honest with you, I wasn't really. I mean, I like Batman and it's cool and everything, but I'm not like a Batman nerd or anything. And and I, when I heard it was three hours long, I'm like, I'm not going to sit through a three hour movie, right? Um, I've seen it three times. Uh -huh. It's really good. Yeah. Oh shit it is. Look at that. Don't let me hurt you. You better watch it. You know my reputation? Yeah, I do. Do you? And because and the reason why, and the reason why is because I don't I don't watch a lot of the Marvel movies because I get kind of lost because I'm not really in the know of all that stuff. And unless you kind of know all the back history and everything, yeah, you kind of get lost in those movies. Um, but I'm a Star Wars. Star, but I but I'm a Star Wars nerd, so yeah. I know all those, so I can you know I can tell you all that stuff. But um, the new Batman movie, uh, they were smart because they really basically they made a mafia movie mm -hmm. where your bad guy's a terrorist, and then there's Batman. Yeah. So it felt kind of gritty grounded mm -hmm. and 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 they beat the crap out of Batman which is good because because he's not a superhero he doesn't have superpowers so yeah. he should get the crap beat out of him he's not perfect he's gonna make mistakes mm -hmm. and I love that about it because because flaws are what make people 
interesting and, and really cool characters. So they did a really good job on that film, and I wanted to hate it. I literally went in there thinking, God, I'm going to, I'm going to want to leave after two hours. Yeah. And, uh, and I brought my wife, who is not a Batman fan at all, and I expected her to be like, let's get out of here. And she went and saw it with me a second time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's movies that kind of surprise me. When they come out and when they hit that you. note, yeah. you're just like, whoa, I didn't expect that. And then they end, and you're like, <clears> I could have probably sat there for another, like, I don't know, another three hours. If they wanted me to, I would have I would have been in that I world. I was surprised that it didn't, it didn't feel long, but it, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, I will sit there after I see a movie that affects me, and I won't be able to stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I'll dream about it. I'll yeah. think about it the next day. Like, it just, it just absorbs me. So, when it works, it works, and that one worked, and... It was pretty good. It was pretty darn good. And I, I actually was enjoying watching Cobra Kai for a little while with my daughters. That oh, was fun. Yeah. All right, speak up, Lip. Or is your tongue messed up, too? Are you one of those challenge kids? The doctor said I could be on the spectrum. I don't know what that is, but get off it pronto. And I wasn't a fan of, of, of the Karate, uh, Karate Kids, necessarily. Really? I saw them, but it wasn't like anything I cared about. Yeah. But I just love the 80s nostalgic that they put into the show, and mm-hmm. it's really well done. And, and so uh, there's some new stuff coming up um, that, that has been pretty good. But uh, Oh, yeah, especially after we, we had that like dry spell, right, during the pandemic. Yeah. It was like just being bombarded from all sides with this like quality cinema. And then, and then a few years back, too, you went from TV shows being TV shows to being movies on tv mm-hmm. you know like game of thrones and all those i mean all those shows came out and all of a sudden the level of quality of what a, a tv show was yeah you know turned into multi multi giant million dollars you know feature films but they're on tv yeah and there's multiples of them so it's like you know a lot of those shows were were kind of changed the the playing ground for the level of what a tv show could be oh yeah i'm assuming like with the all of the you know special effects art and everything like that Having all of the, I mean, it feels like fantasy and sci-fi are kind of having a new heyday right now. You know, they do. There's always a, it always comes back. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of, it kind of like the 80s, I think, kind of set up a certain, a certain scenario because there's so much great content that came out of the 80s because videos and, and, and filmmaking became so much accessible so much more accessible and having videos meant that you could go make a movie that didn't have to be a studio movie and you can make something that would go direct to video and there was less there was people that had were able to get their ideas out and, and be more creative because it wasn't a big studio film so you had all these great movies that came out during the 80s and i think that set the precedence that a lot of 80s movies and entertainment music all that stuff becomes retro very easy mm-hmm. and new generations attractive because it's probably the most quality entertainment decade ever in yeah. the history of, of everything because it just had everything. So I was, I feel lucky that I was, you know, I was uh, a kid and, and got to experience all of that stuff as a kid in the theaters when there was, when there was nothing to compare it to. Yeah. It wasn't like, Oh, this feels like this movie or it feels like this movie. That was the, the movie that you come back 20 years later and say, Oh my God, that feels like an ET film. Mm-hmm. You know, those were the films that became, the film that you ref- that you refer to. So yeah. to be a kid and be able to experience as as a first time thing in a theater with no backstory or anything to compare it to, that was that is why I'm here, literally. And I feel bad because a lot of kids today, there's so much stuff that you could make a great product, but it just doesn't really stand out because there's too much stuff for them to pick from and nothing yeah. really has any oomph. You're not sitting there waiting for months for a movie to come out of the theater because 
you can stream it, you can do this, you can do that, and it's just kind of, it's, mm-hmm. it's very different. So it's hard for a movie to have the impact that it did when I was a kid. Yeah, it's true. Now, <clears throat> I mean, personally, when I go to the theaters, I feel like I am trying to watch this movie so that I can watch the 20 other movies that I need to watch like mm-hmm. that week, basically. Like, mm-hmm. I have to catch up on everything that's coming out because there's so like many quality pieces that are coming yeah. out. So it's hard to like look forward to just the one thing. Yeah. But it sounds like when you go to the theater, you're kind of watching things with the same enthusiasm and the same, like through the same eyes that you did when you were a kid, no? I, I you know, the thing is, is if it's a good movie, then I just lose myself in the movie. And if it's not a good movie, then I find myself <clears throat> watching it for technical reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a good gauge of whether it works or not. Because... As great as they are, I have a hard time getting through like the Harry Potter movies and and even the Lord of the Rings movies. And they're great movies, but there's so much information and they're so long and there's so much visual and there's so much of everything that to me, it just, it, it, it's almost too much. It's almost too much. Like I, the thing that was great about the eighties movies was there was a certain pacing to it where they did a little bit of character development and it kind of did a bit of this. You know, but that's what makes it work for me. So <clears throat> when a movie does that, it just, I instinctually, all of a sudden I'm zoomed in and I'm, everyone's gone. Mm-hmm. It just happens. If it doesn't happen, then I'm watching it going, hmm, nice camera move or not. At what point in the movie this. can you tell? Like, I mean, would you say like 10 minutes in the movie, I can tell if I'm going to be completely invested and absorbed into this world. Um, it, it's, it kind of... It, it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. But usually within the first 10 minutes, it, I'm, I'm either interested or not. Yeah. It might take 15 if it's a little bit of a slow build. Okay. You know, depending on what it is. Yeah. But I mean, by 20 minutes in, I'm either, I either don't see everyone around me or I'm watching it technically, which means it's not really, not working as well. Yeah. You know. Do you still get just as much out of it though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. If I, if it, no, because if I, if I get engrossed in the movie, then I'll, and it's a good movie, then I'm mentally attached. Like, that's why I'm thinking about it hours later and, and, and can't help myself from thinking about it. Yeah. Um, that's cool because that, that inspires me and it makes me creatively feel inspired when I'm watching a movie and it's not that great. And I'm now just watching it for technical reasons. Cause I know I have to sit through it for whatever, you know, whatever reason, if I'm with somebody else or whatever. Or are you one of those people that once you start a movie, you're like, I have to respect the filmmakers. I must sit here for the entire movie. Even if I'm not jazzed about it, I'm not that nice. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, if I, if I'm, if I'm by myself and it's just, and I, I've walked out of a few movies if yeah. I was by myself, but if I'm there with somebody that wants to finish watching it, and I know I'm just going to watch it because I'm there with somebody or it's, or whatever, you know. You're being kind. Yeah. Well, I, I'll sit through it, and then I'll, and at that point, if I'm not engrossed in it, then I'm I'll I'll check out and I'll just watch it for technical reasons, mm-hmm. and watch camera angles and lighting and just performances and just things more as a technical director, because at least that way maybe there's something that might interest me as I'm watching it if I'm not engrossed in the story. And the story is everything because the visuals, visuals are never a problem anymore for films. You never walk out of a film going, man, if those were effects were better, I might have liked it. Never happens anymore. The visuals are never a problem. It's either the performance or the story. Hmm. I guess maybe, I guess maybe you're right. I guess I'm thinking more of like what's jumped out at, at, at me recently has been more of like things in the background. Like, oh, like the, the digital design of this, like 
cityscape or mm -hmm. something like hmm, that doesn't look like it really like fits there mm -hmm. that does that still jump out at you or i mean if it's like... a if it's like a you know if most studio films don't have that problem unless it's just a design aspect that you don't like like it just doesn't make sense or whatever but usually things looking real in big movies now aren't the issue because digital's got it down pretty good that you know, that's usually not the problem for me um I, I'm about story, and luckily as a filmmaker too, I understand story, um, I understand formula, I understand what makes a movie a comedy, what makes a movie work as a horror. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't done a lot of action, um, so I, I'm not really, as a director, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable jumping into a giant action film without doing a lot of research and having people around me that have experience to help me get Is through it. Is there potential for the future, maybe? Um, maybe, but it's not... It's unfortunately, it's not really what inspires me. Yeah. Um, action within a horror movie, action within a comedy, or action within a fantasy film—fantastic. But mm -hmm. again, it's the it's the subject matter that, that interests me, and the characters usually within the subject matter that, that make it work for me. Which makes sense when you were talking about people mm -hmm. that inspire you in terms of directors, like a Tim Burton or a Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like they have all of these like kind of like fantastical worlds yeah. that are so built up and then at the very core of all of these are just so much heart mm -hmm. like the story just contains like so much like beautiful like just humanness to it if you can find um in whatever genre it is if you can create a story and characters that has heart and that your audience can relate to on some level mm -hmm. it pulls your audience in and they will go for the journey if you have character characters that are completely unrelatable, it's hard to to get engrossed in it. I'll give you an example. In the first three Star Wars movies, you had characters that had flaws. You had characters that were in trouble because they were messing up and doing things wrong, and you had Han Solo constantly screwing up. Prepare to make the jump to light speed. They're getting closer. Oh yeah? Watch this. Watch what? I think we're in trouble. You had, you know, things were going on that made it relatable. I mean, truly was perfect, but yeah. Truly was perfect. <laughs> but I mean, they, there were mistakes made, and you, and there were mistakes that you could make yourself, and your, the characters were relatable. When they did the new batch of three movies, everyone was perfect. No one made a mistake. Interesting. Which, why, in my opinion, it didn't work as well. Because the characters were too perfect. There was nothing there that you could relate to. I can't relate to a guy that never makes a mistake and is the most awesome sword fighting guy and can jump through the sky. And I can't relate with that. But you know what? If that guy jumped through the sky and tripped on a cord and hit the ground, yeah. well, that might be something I would do. Yeah. And I can relate to that guy. So when people, characters are too perfect, it's kind of hard for your audience sometimes to go on the journey with them because they don't know what that's like. But man, when you see somebody where you go, phew. I know what that guy feels like. You're now going on the, the journey. It's important. It's important for good movie making, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm just a goof throwing out ideas, but ultimately... Hey, we want your ideas. Yeah, well, well, you know. But I mean, as far as when I make films, I try, to, I, I try to at least make sure there's a certain level of substance that people relate to. When I did The Terror of Hallow's Eve, I based it on something that happened to me when I was a kid because I was a nerd kid that got bullied and beat up a lot. and. And I put that in there because I know there's a lot of people that have experienced that. She let her bitch. And 
the first half hour of this movie, there's not even a monster in it. It's just showing this kid going through all the things he goes through that ultimately leads up to what is the, the scary part of the story. But I was really worried that you know, I'm going to lose my audience. But the reality is the kid is, is an introvert getting you know, screwed over by everybody. And it's based on something that literally happened to me for real. The first half hour, everything that happens in the first hour, this half hour of this movie actually happened to me exactly the way you see it in the film. Yeah. And I figured by doing that, I would give a certain base of, of reality that, was, that I can identify with. But I was worried that people were going to check out because there's no damn monster in the first half hour. And then when I started showing it and it started doing really well, I would sign autographs and people would come up and they would start telling me their bully story and start crying. And yeah. they said, that's why I identified with it because... I know what that kid went through yeah. and then they went on the journey and the journey was this horrible, you know, fantasy horror thing, but ultimately I pulled them in in the first half hour and then they went on the journey with it. So it's important as a filmmaker to figure out how to connect with your audience. Yeah. Do you think there's, I mean, like, I'm just interested if, if cause it is kind of such a theme, right? Like if you're someone who maybe is an only child or doesn't have like the opportunity to make so many friends like there is kind of this draw towards fantastical universes mm -hmm. of these like worlds that aren't necessarily the one that we're currently living in mm -hmm. is that like it, i wonder i just wonder if like you think that there's any like is it movies that are making us feel this way or is it books or like you know for kids that are looking for like these answers why do you think that they're looking for like the monsters and the, the fantasy. The thing, the thing about the thing about horror movies and the thing about fantasy movies and, and what you're talking about, the reason why I think those movies do so well is because for fantasy movies and, and sci-fi movies, you get to leave mm -hmm. everything behind. You're going to another place. You're no longer on Earth and you're in a whole other world. It's yeah. a whole other place. So you get to leave all your troubles behind. You get to leave all your everyday crap behind and you get to go into this other world and experience whatever it is they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. That's a great escape for people who want to leave their problems. Yeah. As far as horror goes, you get to be in a position where it's dangerous, but you're not going to get hurt. So you get to feel the adrenaline of danger mm -hmm. without actually getting the repercussion of having trauma to your, to your body or, 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 you know, get hurt physically but you get to see and experience that adrenaline of what it might be like to have michael myers jump out of a closet and, and cut your throat you know it what would I mean? be terrifying it would yeah. be, but, but you get to experience it in a safe place yeah so again it's another escape so i think for me as a kid too one of the main things was is i went to the movies to escape and i loved it because then i you know if i got all embraced in the movie even when i went home i was still in the movie yeah. Still thinking about the movie, and it was a great escape, you know. So what are you, I mean, that is what you got out of movies as a kid. What do you take from filmmaking now? Is there anything that you feel like it gives back to you that you're... I still get the same, I still feel the same. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's like as I, as I grew up and, <clears throat> and became an old man, I basically... Uh, an old man. Yeah. Yeah, you're just decaying in front of us. I'm like an old wizard. <laughs> Um, I, it's interesting because when you have kids, it was interesting when I, when I got to introduce the great movies that inspired me to my kids and see their reaction. And some of the movies I put in front of them, they didn't care about at all. 
and they had me turn it off, and I was like, oh my god, it didn't work for them, and I was just like, whoa. Is it because they're not as flashy? Uh, it's just because it's different generation. Yeah. Um, but some of the ones that work, that just work, like Jaws and E.T., mm -hmm. boom, they were in. Cool. There's certain, ones, there's certain ones that just work, like I said. Um, but as, as far as for me now, because I've seen so much and I've been so involved on the behind the scenes of so many movies, well, for me it's a little... Work now. Yeah, I, I tend to watch this stuff a little bit more technical the older I get, mm -hmm. but I'm pleasantly surprised when I lose it and there's a movie that just makes me go into that world. Yeah. Um, but I, I, It's like it tricks you. It does, it does, and I'm surprised sometimes when it happens because there's... I saw this other movie, and it, it, it's not like the greatest movie in the world. It's called Dog, with Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Oh, I've seen the trailer okay, for that. Now, yeah. now, they make it look like it's comedy. Okay. That's not a comedy. I mean, there's funny moments, but it's about it's about a guy. It's about a guy who has post uh, PTSD. P, yes. Okay. And he ends up having to take a dog that was his friend's dog that everyone hated because he was such a mean dog. He has to take a dog across the country to a, his friend who died, his funeral, and then the dog's going to be disposed of because it attacked some people or something. Yeah. And the reality is the dog has PTSD also. Or, 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 PTSD, yes. yeah. And it was a whole thing about that connection. We just take crazy down. Just like one notch. Just one notch, that's it. Maybe we could get along. And if we get along, maybe we could even have some fun. I didn't see that coming. I told I told my wife when we were going, I go, ah, this is gonna be one of those throwaway comedies, basically I can tell you the plot right now. It's gonna be this, 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 and this. But it'll be easy and we can Did you say that before asleep. you went in? I did. Okay. <laughs> and I walked out and I went, Oh my god, that was not anything close to what I was expecting. Yeah. It was really pretty good. Cause it it worked. It worked. And I not movie I would have gone to see if I'd known that that was that's what it was. Yeah. But it worked. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I saw this because I, I totally thought it was something else. Okay, so, so dog surprised you. It surprised and me. And movies I mean, sometimes surprise you, yeah. If I, if I, yeah, if, if I, if I walk in and it does something different than I thought and it works, um, I had the, I had the pleasure as a kid when I was in high school, somebody gave me tickets to a premiere or something. They wouldn't tell you what it was. You had to basically give a, a questionnaire at the end of it. I had no idea what it was. I walked in there, sat down and had never heard about the movie being made, and I sat down and they started showing Gremlins. <gasps> and I went, I just lost my mind. I literally lost my mind. Where the hell did this just come from? Were you like looking around and everyone like, did you see this? Flipping you out. This right I flipped out. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. How, do I, how did I not even know this was being made? Has it got a name, Dad? Yeah, Mogwai. What? Mogwai. I don't know, some Chinese word. I just call him Gizmo. Yeah. You know, and I walked out of there and then it didn't come out for like a, maybe six or eight months later yeah. because they made some adjustments and then they released the film. And I just sat there for months drawing pictures of gremlins going, this is what they look like. It was so amazing. You know, well, so like, what did you put on your questionnaire? Like this movie is great. Just make the, put it out already. Like, I, I don't even remember. I think I just put a bunch of smiley faces with tongues hanging out and stuff. I don't know. It was just, it was just, it was great to walk in and, and have no idea what I was about to watch and then have gremlins come out of nowhere. Yeah. It's just like, and that was, that was another movie that for me was just like, just worked as, as a kid. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool when, when you see a movie. And I'll say this too. So we just did the Leatherface character for the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre for Netflix. Okay. Um, now when we got the job and everything, I was really excited because Leatherface is clearly one of the top, you know, iconic horror characters. Oh yeah. Um, 
There's been a number of Leatherface Texas Chainsaw movies since the beginning. Some of them are okay, most of them, eh, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, I watched the movie and I watched it again with my wife and two daughters and I was like, I don't know if this is going to get too weird and dark and, and gross for me to sit here and feel comfortable watching this with my wife and daughters, right? Because okay. I couldn't watch the first one with them because it's too dark and too weird. Like, should, you, should you tell everyone how old your daughters are? Well, oh, they're 21 and 26. Okay, yes. Right. So, like... So, they're adults. Adults, yeah. They're adults. But, I mean, still, it's just... I, 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 I've never sat down to watch, like, super gory movies with them because it's just kind of uncomfortable. And I would never watch the original Texas Chainsaw with them because it's very, it's really dark. Mm. And this one's dark, but ultimately there's enough action in it and it's shot so beautifully that there was not one point in, and there's kills that are just crazy kills, but they shot it in a way that it didn't get like, I don't even know how to say it. It didn't get so over the top, dark, gross that you were like doing this, like, oh, like I didn't feel weird watching it. Like if you watch, when I watched Saw, great movie, but man, I felt like I needed to take a shower after that film. Oh, I thought my insides were right. being ripped out of me. I was yeah. expecting that with Texas Chainsaw, and it didn't do that to me, and it was just, it was just fun. Wow. It was a fun movie, and I was just like, wow, that was, that was kind of not what I was expecting. I was expecting a much more of a gore fest, mm -hmm. and like kind of gratuitous gore and, and gross stuff, and there's stuff in there, but it goes. I mean, it's moving and grooving, and the movie's less than an hour and a half, so it's flying. Whoa. It's going and it's and it was really good. I was really you know, and I think people that aren't even really potentially Texas Chainsaw fans who saw it I think they're like, okay, this is this is a fun movie. Yeah, you know, and it's not perfect I, No movie is perfect, but you know, but it worked it worked So you're talking about like all of these surprises of seeing movies and everything and like what they bring that you didn't expect and then just to uh, tag back to what we were talking about, just like your career in general and working in the, this industry and you work like with so many talented people and gaining like your own talent at the same time through that journey. Is there anything about like this industry in general that completely surprised you? That you're like, I did not expect this before I got in. Um, the great thing, I will say the great thing about this industry is I never went to college. Mm -hmm. I'm a high school graduate, and then I actually became a professional musician and was a musician for a while. And, and then what kind of music? Uh, I I had an '80s hair band. So cool. So, um, but we were signed by a label. We we're making an album. We we're doing everything. So I was making a living as a musician and had met Matt and Steve and was doing makeup effects at the same time, mm -hmm. and kind of had makeup effects as my backup if if the music thing didn't work out. Um, but was so inspired by it. So when I came down here, I had that grandiose plan of being a director, being an effects artist, being an actor, doing all this stuff. And the reality is, the great thing is, is that this is an industry where as long as you have the drive and the motivation, you can kind of do anything. And I'm in three unions, makeup union, SAG, and Directors Guild. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many careers you can have where you can jump around and do so many different things as long as you're motivated enough to make it happen. Oh, yeah. So the thing is that's great about this industry is if you want it, you can have it and you can do it. You just have to be motivated. You have to really have the drive and you have to be smart in how you position yourself to get where you want to be. 
you have to come up with a game plan and you have to follow through. But this industry allowed me to do all the things I wanted to do and make a living at it and still kind of feel like I don't really have a real job. <laughs> cheers to that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cheers to having not a real job. Not a real job. Let's ask you one last question. Where can you be found on social medias if people want to be creeps and you know follow you? So uh, you can find, uh, I have um, uh, official Todd Tucker Instagram and uh, Facebook. Um, I also have uh, illusionindustries.com. Okay. Um, the official Todd Tucker Instagram is probably the best. I post a lot of videos weekly and show a bunch of behind the scenes stuff and just awesome. play a bunch of characters and do fun stuff. So it's, it's hopefully entertaining. It will be. Thank you so much for having us here and for chatting us, uh, with us about um, all of your impressive works in your career. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Todd Tucker and enjoyed listening to him speak about his uh, vast amount of experience as much as I did. We have a lot of other, even more, yes I know, great interviews coming up, so make sure to bookmark us, subscribe, like, share, and um, what other things can you do? Um, tell a friend. You've got friends. Don't say you don't. And uh, skywriting. Um, or get a memento style tattoo reminding you to listen. Uh, you know, maybe that's overly uh, committed, but hey, we'll take it anything you got. You know, we're very appreciative. So, whatever it is, please help us spread the word and keep coming back. And we'll see you next time on Below the Line.